0: Here's a Japanese sandman man Sneaking on without you Just an old second hand man he'll buy your old days from you He will take every sorrow
1: Of the day that is true And he'll bring you through Hello and welcome to the good friends of Jackson Elias, an occasional podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films and horror gaming in general. My name's Paul Fricker. I'm Scott Dalwood. And I'm Matt Sanderson. So here we are on episode 48.
2: Jesus, it's been that long. Two more and we
1: hit the big five-zero.
2: We're <laughs> oh, <been> almost Woohoo! <laughs> yeah,
0: so sorry, that's a bit of a sore point for me this year. <laughs>
2: <laughs> when, when should we? When should we save this one up for and release it then? <laughs>
0: Just don't, do <die. laughs> oh, sometime
2: no. in the autumn.
0: Yeah, sometimes. Yes,
2: right. then, yes. Uh, <laughs> then, uh, the, the the listeners might get restless if we if we have a month's gap. So, yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, indeed, we are up to.
1: We're almost up to our goal on Patreon, whereby we're pledged to do two. Sh- well, not two shows a week. A show every two weeks. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think we'll ever get to do two shows a week. That'd no, we be madness. We we did used to do one show a week. Did we? We yeah, did actually. We, we didn't did Oh we? We yeah, dim and distant past. God, yeah, yes. well, we were young and enthusiastic, <laughs> so, and, and apparently really fucking stupid. It must yeah. have been something to do with the shed. The power of the shed compelled us. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, it, it, maybe it was some infection
2: brought on by the mould that gave us additional energy, mm. and the cold that. I don't know what that did. What, what cold? You had a flamethrower to warm us up. Oh yeah, and Scott didn't notice heat
1: or cold. Anyway, he's impervious like an elf. <laughs> Walk, walks on top of the snow. What are we talking about this week? I think we're breaking the mold a bit, aren't we? Yes, prime time adventures. Yeah. They, what they, is this? They, this isn't horror. Heresy.
0: <laughs> well we're going or to is it? We're, we're going to twist things around a bit because you know we're going to talk about a, a role playing game we've all got some experience of playing it's a generic game in a lot of ways well the point is it can be used for any genre and we've used it quite a lot for horror type games so um, given that we're going to give some of those as examples later on it sort of fits in the mold with the show yeah, and, it totally fits our yeah. remit i think we're talking about horror role playing and and, yeah. and and if it doesn't fuck it it's our show screw you
2: okay then Scott as you're the one that got us into playing um, prime time you're the one that introduced this almost gateway game to us hmm. why don't you explain what primetime's all about okay well primetime adventures it's an indie RPG
0: that came out initially about 2004 written by a chap called Matt Wilson uh, who published it himself under the imprint uh, dog-eared games uh, or Dog-Eared designs or something like that dogeared something The the first edition came out in 2004, as I said. It went through a second edition a few years later, uh, which revised a a number of things, including shifting it from using dice to playing cards. The third edition went into playtest a few years ago, we did play the playtest version of it uh, very briefly. Then it went through a moderately successful Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean, It was a successful Kickstarter in that it got you know, uh, several hundred percent over you know, what it was trying to do. But it's just obviously that's tempered by comparisons with Exploding Kittens, which has made how, how much? Eight
2: million dollars? Uh, when we last looked at it earlier this evening, eight million one hundred and seventy five thousand. Yeah. OK. Primetime Adventures didn't make that much. A few things did. <laughs> I think it was, it was over 10k, though, I think.
0: Yeah, it, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, well, it, it might have been more
2: like about 30k. But.
1: And this is very much one of the old school, old school indie games. It is. <laughs> so I mean, that's it, a weird phrase, but yeah. it was kind of one of those, um, you know, in, in the heyday of the indie games movement. It,
0: well, it was one of the, the original uh, kind of Breakthrough Forge games, yeah. or games that came out of the Forge uh, website. Uh, and and it truly
1: really was it. quite innovative and different in its format um, it, it, all, all round. Yeah.
0: I, the, the thing that that makes primetime adventures special for me uh, is that it it does something that kind of a lot of us do, I think, to some extent automatically uh, with role playing games, but it formalizes it and really brings it to the forefront, which is it explains the game in terms of television. The game is about creating a TV
1: series that's the elevator pitch isn't it you're playing the you' you're playing characters in the best TV show that was never actually made yeah it's, I
0: mean that's not just kind of a mild analogy or whatever everything in the book I mean you know, even more so in the third edition everything in the book is explained in terms of television all the language all the game terms are uh, you know television terms they talk about cutscenes and uh, yeah
1: the, fading to black and so and on yeah and the GM's the producer and, yeah you know, and you have a budget all, and, and yeah. so on and yeah, sets which and, are all kind of and fan mail aspects of the game design yeah Yeah. and fan mail glorious fan mail
0: yeah each each uh, session is called an episode and you play out seasons of the the uh um, the game
1: now am i right in thinking that it was based on a kind of script writer's bible
0: i don't actually know
1: oh i thought you were going to expand on this scott i'm sure it was (laughs) i'm sure it was um based somewhat on a uh, well, what I just said, a scriptwriter's bible, which gave a, a, an explanation of how to write, shows such as Buffy, yeah, um, because it it follows that format exactly. So watch it. Having read this, which kind of deconstructs shows like Buffy, it kind of took a little of the magic out of the show for me. <laughs> kind of pulls off the, uh, you know, the the, the the veneer and you kind of see the workings underneath much more. I think things have moved on now. I think when you what, it doesn't apply so strongly to some of the, the newer shows that are coming out or but, at least they did. No. They disguise it better.
0: Yes, but but yeah, it, it certainly gives you an insight into much more into the process that goes into creating uh, that, that, that sort of well, it's that sort of combination of sort of semi episodic, semi serial television that you know seems
2: to be um, you know very much the case in American television now. Mm-hmm. As I say, given given some of the experiences we've had in games, I would have paralleled it more with Lost. <laughs> everything will everything will be revealed, maybe. <laughs> yeah and they were making it up as they went along you mean yes yes yeah
0: but i mean it's interesting if you take a look at the the book i mean know, yeah, looking through the third edition um they give all sorts of examples uh, of, taken from various TV shows to illustrate how different me- game mechanics work uh, and, and what, they're meant, um, uh, what they're meant to model. And it, it gives you an idea of the range of the game. Uh, the shows that, that, you know, they, they talk about modelling. Uh, Buffy, The Americans, Gilmore Girls, The Wire, Alias, Firefly, Justified, and even Ugly Betty. You know, the, the point is, you're not tied to any particular kind of genre, style of play or anything like that. It can be comedic, it can be serious, it can be a soap opera. There's no expectation that there's going to be action scenes in it or anything like that. Uh, it's about drama. I've made a few mentions of different editions of the game. Third edition, as I've said, has just come out on the back of this Kickstarter.
2: Um, at the moment, it's just the PDF that's gone to backers. We, we've talked a lot about the actual game, its history, its origin. How do you play it? Well, one of the strengths
0: of Primetime Adventures is the fact that it's a really simple game. Uh, it, mechanically, it's very light but very focused. And as I said, everything is about modelling television.
1: Yeah, we should say it's a very slim volume, um, which you can easily read in in, in one sitting. Yeah, uh, it's very well written, very well structured, uh, and it instructs you how to play the game very, very clearly. And it's one of those games that you can sit down with nothing and hit the ground running. So the first thing you do is come up with a premise for the show. And you you throw the idea around between you at the table and come up with an agreeable kind of premise.
0: Yeah, the idea is that it's the same kind of pitch session as I, I imagine you'd have if you were a writer pitching a show, but a bit more collaborative. You sit there as a group and you just basically bounce ideas off each other. Now, this has changed slightly in third edition, uh, or at least you know the, the the fundamentals of it are still the same. But there's a, a new addition in third edition, uh, which is that there is yeah. If you're stuck for inspiration, there's a randomizer in there as well, uh, so that you can draw cards and there's a table to look them up
1: on. Just gives you a few random elements. A little like in a wicked age, if you're familiar with that. I yeah. was just
2: about to say the same thing. Yeah, which you- I
1: like. I think that's the because I think being told. Okay, what do you want to do? You can do anything you like. Can be a bit of a killer.
0: But certainly, you know, for Primetime Adventures, I've done this a number of different ways. We, you know, we have tried using the Randomizer and that worked really well. We've done pitch sessions where we've just sat down with no ideas in mind and just started off from simple questions like, what genre do you fancy playing? Uh, Has anyone got any rough ideas for a time period or anything like that? And before you know it, once people throw in a couple of ideas, sometimes in as short a time as 10 minutes, you can have a fairly fleshed out concept and um, because everyone you know is throwing ideas in you end up with ideas that you know none of you on your own would have come up with hmm. but but end up feeling quite coherent um and a couple of times for convention games i've just turned up with a premise in mind and said yeah we can adapt this as you want but
2: you know this this is what i fancy running mm-hmm. uh, this is one one point i'd say that everyone has to have a good degree of buy in for that premise if one person is disconnected that spells trouble from the start absolutely yeah, yeah.
1: One player takes on the role of the producer, or GM, obviously, and the other players each take a single role. So in that way, traditional role-playing game. Yeah. The characters themselves each have some interesting aspects, not not your usual strength, dexterity, and charisma, but they have things such as traits and connections. They have issues. So give me some issues that they might uh, have. Alcoholism.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. um, Oh post-traumatic stress disorder uh, overcoming uh guilt over you know past misdeeds uh inability to
1: commit to uh, a relationship stuff like this i mean it's you know The so things that can be explored in, a, in an episode in a, in a session
0: yeah well not, not even well it's is what the camp what the character's story throughout the um the season is about because you know one what, what of the other things that defines the character is this trait called screen presence this is one of the most televisual things about this the modeling uh what the way tv series are actually written you ever feel like nothing good was ever going to happen to you
1: yeah and nothing did
0: so what i'm alive i'm surviving that's it i don't want to just survive it says in these movie writing books that every character has an arc you understand like everybody starts out somewheres and they do something something gets done to them Changes their life. That's called their arc. Where's my arc? Each character has got their own story arc uh, within the overall season, but obviously you can't have them all building up to a head at the same time. You want to have kind of multiple peaks throughout the season. Uh, And the way Primetime Adventures does this is that each character has you know, a, a, um, a stack called screen presence, which varies between one and three uh, per episode. Your screen presence changes from episode to episode. If your screen presence is one, you're almost a supporting character in that episode. If it's two, you know, it's fairly normal. And if it's three, it's the uh, the episode is your character's spotlight episode, which means the character is all about him or her, and more especially about his or her issues.
1: And you know that structure from the outset. So once you start playing, you know that in the third session, Scott, your spotlight episode is going to be in that third session. In the second session, you're just going to be a supporting character and, and so on. So you kind of have that laid out in front of you.
2: Yeah,
0: and if my character, you know, for example, had fear of commitment as his issue, uh, then you know, during that spotlight episode, I mean, not only do we explore, you know, and try to bring my character's uh, crisis about commitment to a head, but basically, all, you know, any other conflicts that don't involve him around the other characters should somehow
1: echo that. A couple of other things that the player characters have. One is personal set, so that's a location where you can go back to. Kind of get your head straight and recharge your batteries essentially.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna refresh. The uses of one of your abilities. So it's
1: perhaps, you know, we see the writer sat at his desk, you know, penning in his his journal or whatever. We see some guy down at the bar and that's his personal set. That's the location in the story that is close to your character.
0: But it doesn't even have to be a physical location. I mean, yeah, uh, one of the examples I seem to remember seeing in an early edition of Primetime Adventures uh, was from MASH. And it was the letters Hawkeye used to write home. Uh, kind of summing up what was happening. And, you know, those letters were his personal set. Mm. Having said all that, I'm not sure personal sets exist in third edition anymore. Oh, that would be a shame.
1: Also, Nemesis... Your
0: nemesis—it's <clears throat> a completely optional thing. Doesn't really have a mechanical uh, aspect to it, but you define an NPC, and it's got to be an NPC. I mean, you don't want to make another player character your nemesis. That kind of thing will happen organically through play anyway. But this is—you know—a character who is just simply there to screw with your character. Um, yeah, so always an NPC, or potentially or, a PC. Always an NPC. Uh-huh. The thing about it is that you know that that character doesn't have to. Be someone that your your uh, protagonist sees as an enemy. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, it can be right. Some, so it know.
1: might be somebody who thinks a friend, but is actually your yeah, worst enemy. Exactly. Also, you just don't realise it yet. Well, in,
0: in, in maybe not even that they're actively trying to, you know, uh, screw you up. It could just be that they're such a toxic influence in your life that you know, mm. whenever they're around and doing stuff, things get bad
1: for you. Yeah. So then, play then takes place very much in scenes, just as it does on the TV show. Yeah, I... and you go around the table, and people take it in turns to to, to frame scenes. And well,
0: well, actually, no. What happens is everyone in turn gets to say what the elements for the scene are. So you you go around in turn each time. There's a new scene. Uh, so you know, for example, we turn around. You know, we get to Matt, uh, and you know, you want a scene with your character. You get to say, you know, who else is in the scene. You get to say where the where the scene takes place, and in previous editions, uh, you'd say roughly what the scene was about. Uh, in third edition, you specify that a bit more, and you say what question do you want the scene to answer, but you don't frame the scene. Uh, so, I mean, you know. Uh, so, who does
1: that? The producer.
0: The producer does. So, okay. you know, if I were the producer, you'd give me those three elements, and then I'd sort of think about them for a moment, and say, you know, and say, right, you know, the, the scene starts off with such and such happening. You know, this is the action as as we kick off, uh, and you know, perhaps throw a bit of physical description in, and so on, and then keep things moving like that. As a producer, you're providing as well the, the main opposition to the characters. Uh, so when you're playing through a scene, uh, you're building towards some kind of conflict in the scene. That doesn't have to be a violent conflict, it's usually not. It's, uh, it, it can be you know, just an emotional beat or something like that. But the point is that there's something your character wants in the scene and there's some opposition to it. That's what the producer provides. At some point, you work out what precisely that conflict is in the scene. You know, it tends to be a fairly organic thing. You get up to a certain point in the scene where you know, things are coming to a head. And as a producer, it's pretty much your job at that stage to say, right, you know, we have a the conflict there, let's go to the cars to see how that turns out. Without going into the minutiae, the mechanics, um, you know, the, the players draw cars based on their screen presence and any traits that they can bring in. The producer has what's referred to as a budget which is a certain number of tokens you start with, which you can use for buying cards and conflicts as well. That budget, when it's spent, goes into the centre of the table and then becomes a, a pool of what is referred to as fan mail. And the idea is that any time a player does something cool in a game, something that really advances the story, something that one or more of the other players really likes, anyone can reach into the centre of the table, grab one of those unallocated points and award it to them as fan mail. In 3rd edition, again, that's slightly different in that, in previous editions, the producer could also award fan mail. In 3rd edition, explicitly, the
2: producer can't. It's only the other players. Seems a bit unnecessarily restrictive. I quite liked it when the GM could just say that's that's really good and flick it. That yeah, one. yeah, I
0: think I think. The reason that they've done that is that, you know, with a lot of groups, you know, the, the GM, you know, as a sort of authority figure in the game, sort of almost set the tone for that. And, you know, other people would look almost for approval to do that. But by taking it completely away from the GM, it then becomes a much more organic process. Mm. Seems fair enough.
1: Each session then closes with a what's coming up next um, discussion. Yes. Is that next, right? Next week. Next on. week on. Yes. of um, course. I love that feature. <laughs> Uh, so where players get to suggest things they want to see in the next episode, essentially. Yeah.
2: so these aren't
0: full scenes. these are just little images. So it can sort of see you know be, you know, I, I want to see Paul's character you know pushed up against a wall with the gun rammed up his left nostril uh, and someone shouting at him, we don't know who it is yet, we don't know what this is about, but we just know that at some point uh, during the next session Paul's character is getting a gun in his left nostril.
1: And to continue our discussion of primetime adventures, I read in your in the notes you wrote, Scott, that you've played PTA more than any other game or you've run PTA more than any other game. I'm really surprised so. to read that because I don't see you running it much at conventions. You seem to mostly be running, you know, Hot War or um, Dead of Night. Well,
0: I've run a number of games of it, campaigns of it at the club. I've run a number right. of campaigns of it outside the club and I have run actually a surprising amount at uh, conventions. I ran a sort of ongoing campaign for a while uh for the same group of players at conventions whenever we met up and i've run run really quite a lot of one shots at conventions yeah
1: yeah i'm surprised so, how much you've run it because you've uh a lot more than i thought and something else that i recall you saying was that when you'd had one or two other games that had kind of floundered uh other game systems you'd retooled them and just said well let's finish off using PTA because it was such a light system that allowed you to well, do that?
0: there was one particular one um, there was a World of Darkness game that a friend of mine was running some time back which no, it didn't really flounder but you know, I think there were a few problems with some of the interpersonal dynamics of the characters and maybe even actually the players uh, but it you know, it wasn't quite as much fun as, as it should have been. That's right it was a werewolf the forsaken game and we decided that we were going to sort of cleanse our palates a bit and that we play another game set in the same you know against the backdrop of the same campaign we took a number of the supporting npcs and so on who were involved in a strip club that were, where there was an attempted takeover by the russian mafia at least one of the the dancers there was a vampire
1: it's really not what I was thinking. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a reworking of the existing game you were playing. It was kind of almost a spin-off. It, it was. What
0: we actually did was we ended up with some of the main characters from the other game sort of becoming supporting characters in this, yeah. and it just became a different way of looking at it. Yeah, and yeah. it but, but also we did it with a completely different tone, whereas the, you know, the first one was a fairly straight World of Darkness game. We did this as a sitcom. Right. Uh, uh, we, we ended up calling it Teeth Out for the Lads. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean we had a hell of a lot of fun playing that. The first experience I think all of us, you know, the three of us uh, had playing Primetime Adventures was actually the first campaign of it I ever ran uh, at the club a while back, which was a game we ended up calling Santa Maria. Oh,
2: the hotel, yes.
0: Yeah, the the, the setup for this, I mean, this was, I I mean, one thing that's going to come up, I think, a bit later on is that, um, you know, it, it becomes... Quite easy to do a fairly comedic series with with Prime Time Adventures, but Santa Maria wasn't. Um, I mean, there, there were a couple of kind of uh, moments of comedy in it, but on the whole, it was a, a fairly straight crime drama.
1: Hmm. For the Santa Maria game, one of the players was uh, uh, one of his stipulations was that we didn't have any supernatural elements, yeah. so that automatically brought us into a very different realm. You know, I can't think of many games that we play that don't have supernatural elements. Well,
0: I mean, that's the thing. I mean, the majority of published role-playing games do. I mean, they're they're somehow uh, fantastical or they've got science fiction elements and so on. It's very rare to find one
1: that is grounded in, you know, everyday reality. Mm. There Uh, are many role-playing games about, say, playing The Godfather. Matt's thinking. We'll
0: We'll have a slight pause here while
2: Matt thinks of an example.
0: There are a few, yeah, the,
2: the, the one both. that immediately leaps to mind is Spycraft, because you're, um, there's nothing overtly supernatural in it. It's a, no, but it's but, but
0: it's still but, but but there are still almost science fiction elements in that. But is there fantastical technology? Yeah. Yeah. Mm,
2: yes, there is to a point. Yeah,
0: but yeah, yeah finding role playing games that are absolutely grounded in reality is a rare thing. Um, yeah, as I said, there are a, there's definitely
2: a handful of them out there. Taste and yet, mode. the most popular yeah.
1: stories on TV are soaps. Yeah which are pretty fantastical, but they're not, yeah, it's, it's, they're not it's, in that
2: way. It's a wonder that anyone watches them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean that that was actually quite eye-opening, and I'm really glad that was my first experience of, of running a Primetime Adventures campaign, because it really did help me understand that you could do really anything with this game. The two most successful campaigns I ran at the club, uh, the two that I enjoyed running the most, this was my Lovecraftian uh, Primetime Adventures game, a game called Time and Tide. The basic pitch I had for it, this is one where I did actually turn up with a pitch. I didn't uh, do a normal pitch session. I said this is what I want to do, but we'll fill in the details. And so what I said that I wanted to do was run a game that was set in modern day Innsmouth. The raid had happened, you know, seventy-five, eighty years ago. Uh and that the, the town you know, people have forgotten about Innsmouth. The town had largely been wiped out. This new town, which we ended up calling New Gloucester, yes, had uh, ended up being built on the, the site of the former Innsmouth. Only there were still some people around there who remembered what it was and some people who had ties to the old blood. We made a couple of fundamental mistakes there with, yes, A, introducing an element of time travel, which really didn't work, and B... Uh, we, we experimented with a classic TV trope of having an opening scene with something you know absolutely inexplicable happening, uh, and then saying you know and then having the next scene which was twenty four hours earlier with the idea that we set oh up the God. elements <laughs> and did that work did it fuck sure yeah. we we got round we got round to that scene again at the end of it and it's all right so what did this happen oh, I don't
1: know <laughs> I don't know how you find it having played a lot of it. It is very much a game where you're sitting down and just making stuff up. And sometimes that can work, and sometimes it doesn't. And the game doesn't really give you a lot of support in making it work. It gives you a lot of support in making stuff up around the, the setting. Yeah. But I'm not sure it gives you a lot of term, a lot to use in terms of making the, the fiction come to life and make it work in a way that, say, Apocalypse World does.
0: Yeah, th- there is... Um... I, I guess yeah something yeah you're right something like Apocalypse World you've got you know those partial successes on the dice and so on which yeah. introduce complications and push the story in different directions. Yeah. With this you don't get that it's much more you know what everyone throws in at the table and what narration people bring. And
1: when they're throwing in random things for next episode or you know like you just said scenes with no explanation. My concern with the game I played of it with the the Santa Maria game that we've discussed was uh, not so much of directly losing interest in it it was based around the the lack of cohesion of the story so you've got Mm. a lot of individual players and clearly you know they're they're having fun with their own aspect of it but in a way that doesn't seem to yeah I guess it does come down to personal engagement but it's that kind of the whole thing doesn't seem tight enough sometimes. Well
0: yeah I I think one thing I will say is that's the first campaign of Primetime Adventures I ran and I learned quite a lot from that yeah, I think this is actually a very important point. Um, and something that I'd say to anyone who's starting out running Primetime Adventures, it's easy to look at it and think that it's, you know, as the producer of the game, uh, that you're there as a facilitator, you're there to you know, let everyone else throw their own ideas in and so on. And yeah, you know, it, it took me a few campaigns to learn that no, yeah, you know, that's really not the case. You know, the GM role that you're playing is a very tight one. You know between the scene framing and kind of putting the details out of people and so on, and and every now and then just kind of stepping out and saying, well, actually, no, can we try doing things a different way? It is your job to try to maintain that cohesion, and that's that. You know, that, that is actually probably the most difficult part of GMing Primetime Adventures: learning how to do that.
1: Yeah, so you I mean you've got to be very on the ball to do that and. The more of it I've run, the more I've realised that yeah, is is actually not that difficult to do. I mean, it probably was one of the early games that introduced this idea of rather than having a party play to some to some degree degree, it was very much kind of going around the table. Okay, now we're looking at what your character's doing now. Now we're looking at what your player's doing now. We you know and kind of going around the table from one to the other, and whilst other people can kind of come in on that scene, it was very much sort of focusing on. From one player to the next,
2: yeah,
0: sort of. Because you know, when, when you're doing that, you really want other uh, characters around to bounce off. Yeah. So if you're setting up of oh, those sure, scenes, sure. I mean, you'd want to perhaps bring Matt's character in. Yeah. Just yeah, because it's someone for you to play off. Uh, and also, you know, even if you hadn't brought Matt's character in, Matt could spend a point of fan mail to introduce his character into that scene. Uh, the uh, the the other campaign that I ran at the club, which uh, I yeah I I think is probably still the single funnest game that I've been involved with, certainly a game that made me laugh more than any other role-playing game I've been involved in, uh, was a game called Mooks.
2: Seconded. I can't remember walking away from any other game session where every session hurt because we laughed that much.
0: Yeah, the, the, the basic premise of MOOCs, again, this was one I think I just turned up to the table and said, yeah, this is what yeah. I want to run, was uh, a fly on the wall documentary about a recruitment agency, a temp agency uh, for the, you know, the MOOCs and faceless minions that you see running around in James Bond films or you know, in supervillains' lairs or whatever. Not a million miles
1: from My Life with Master, really.
2: Yeah, a little bit like that. Yeah. yeah. The, the MOOCs recruitment agency.
0: Yeah, but but it was it, it was kind of a combination of you know the, the the mundane temp recruitment agency side of things, and then you know sort of the weirdness of the world that these people were being recruited into, and you know the, it, it, my original idea was that the comedy would come off playing between the two. In practice, what happened was we had uh, one player in the group, James Hollywood, who is a big time comics nerd, and he loves comics He loves comics continuity, and he could quote, you know, chapter and verse from, from both DC and Marvel continuity. And I'd, I'd kind of planned this to be, you know, a, a very loose, not based in anything type background. And he started, you know, through some of his scenes and next week on and so on, uh, introducing lots of elements of DC comics continuity. And it sort of became almost a, you know, a, a, a piss take of, the, of, of DC comics.
2: The Uh, Orphans League of America.
0: Yes. (laughs) The thing that ended up setting the tone was in the first session, someone introduced Aquaman as a character.
2: Oh, God. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And I'd end up sitting there playing Aquaman as this character, as, you know... The, the, the various machinations and the characters just ended up destroying his life around him. And he, you know, by the end of it, he was just sitting there drinking whiskey from a bottle, shouting abuse at people.
2: Especially when we called dolphins fish. Yes. yes.
0: <laughs> I, 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 I left every session of that having laughed so much that my diaphragm
2: hurt. If only you could have that as a one wish come true of any item or thing from your game bleeding into real life. I want the drunk, angry Aquaman action figure <laughs> <laughs> that, that just yeah, that when you pulled the string just yelled, "Mabbs, MABLES
1: <laughs> This show we are talking prime time adventures, as well as being
0: a lot of fun to to play in GM. You know, one of the things that has really endeared Primetime Adventures to me, is that it's one of these games, you know, from the the last 10, 15 years, that really shaped the way that I GM now. Primetime Adventures taught me everything I know about scene framing. I will, quite often in games now, fairly aggressively set scenes, start stuff up media res and so on. And that is, you know, something that, you know, a habit that I picked up from Primetime Adventures. Well, touching on what we were talking about with a lot of the games that i have you know, been involved with this being fairly comedic in tone, this, I think, again, goes back to what I was saying about you know, learning how to be a tougher GM with this, which is you know, maintaining that tone and stopping it from... You know, stopping games that you're you're setting out uh,
1: to make serious turning into comedy. Well, I think that's the case yeah. with any game like this where you're starting with a blank... Canvas
0: and where you've got player input and where yeah you know, yeah you, where
1: players have got license to make stuff up you know whole cloth that, that comes yeah. into the game
0: yeah and and I think you know, I mean there's there's two tools as a gm you have to bring to this the first is you know being very clear at the beginning you know after you've got the pitch session which is you know but well, this is the tone we've agreed on we are going to stick to this yeah. and the other is policing it when people don't do that yeah. it's just so you know someone comes up with something you know really inappropriate and so on it's sort of yeah that's funny but you know that, that's not what we were going to do
1: well but do you not find the fan mail feeds that fire <sighs> it depends again te- people in the in the sessions i've played that's what tended to get given fan mail was things that made people laugh whether it was on tone or not
0: yeah i know that, that that's the thing that tends to get the reaction but no i haven't found that to be a universal thing uh but you're right it's easier to get laughs than anything else but yeah i, I think the lesson you take away from that is you know once you've agreed that tone as the gm you shouldn't be afraid just to every now and then say
1: no remind people yeah
0: yeah Primetime Adventures, however much I love it, I, I do appreciate that it's not a game for everyone. It does one particular style of play. Uh, it does it very well, but that style of play isn't to everyone's tastes. That whole kind of collaborative, you know, let, let's make this up and let's make it all about kind of drama and conflict and so on. You know, if if you're someone who enjoys making tactical decisions in a game or if you're someone who enjoys kind of solving a mystery that someone else is making up or something like that, you will not get that out of Primetime Adventures.
2: Mm -hmm. And the other thing I find, especially for putting a very trad player into that environment, so I see the game has been almost like a double-edged sword in that you offer something new, it offers something different. But I know my first experience when I played the game, I was very much left at sea going, oh, so I've got to describe a scene. Isn't that your job? You're the GM? (laughs) What the hell am I doing this for? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. Except, yeah.
0: As I said, yeah, you, you don't have to describe that scene. You just have to say what elements are in it.
2: Mm. That's almost just as almost as bad. That it say what, what's this about. That's a very yes. open question. No, yeah, that, yeah. That's
0: that's. Uh, I think one thing that's definitely improved in third edition that it's not that woolly. What is this about? It's sort of what question does this answer? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a more focused thing. And certainly when you know when I played it
1: that way, it ended up with a much tighter feeling game.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Can you give an example of that kind of question that you might ask? what is this scene about? Sure. Uh,
0: well, it's, the question isn't what is the scene about Is it. the, the the question is, what question does the scene answer? So it could be something like, you know, do, is, is this the scene where my character, you know, discovers that your character isn't actually his father? Um, is this, you know, where, you know, I finally get my hands on, you know, the, uh, the magical crystal that I've been hunting down? Stuff like that.
1: Very different approach to... Just about every other role-playing game I can think of, really, from a player point of view. We, yeah, it you
2: know, is. I think
1: because a really different approach.
2: And to some extent, you're almost predetermined. You're knowing what the outcome is going to be before you go into the scene. Well, well you're, not, not so you, much you're the not, outcome, because, but you're knowing what the... Well, you know what what the the scene's about, what it's
1: built, it's it's either one way or the other.
2: Yeah,
0: Yeah. except, you know, one of the nice things about it is because, you know, I mean, you as a player are coming up with that question, but you're not framing the scene and you're not controlling the actions of the other people in there. So while everyone knows that that's the question it's building towards, it may get there in a completely unexpected way and end up setting up other elements which will end up changing what's going on in the game fiction.
1: Scott, you said it's not a game for anybody who likes to play tactically or solve a mystery. I'd say it's not a game for anybody who enjoys the the dreaded word immersion in in gaming. It's a bit like watching the um, behind the scenes to how a show is made. In that way, I didn't feel like I was playing a character in a role-playing game. Yeah,
0: I think it's it's an oddly schizophrenic approach in that respect, uh, in that you you step outside and you take an almost rightly view of aspects of it. But when you're in the scene, you play the character. I mean, you're not sitting there. Uh, but, you, you know, you, but you,
1: you, you, decide what the outcome is before you play out the scene. Well, not what the outcome is,
0: but you're describing. You, you, you're, you're setting the stake before you set. You know, uh, yeah. But you,
1: you play the scene. Um, the last stage in the the chapter where it explains how you play it was you play it out. So you you do the cards and so on to decide oh, see, what right. the, yeah. the outcome of the scene is. Yes. And then you role play it, which always to me seemed a bit almost. It almost seems superfluous because we've already decided what the outcome is. Now we're going to make up some dialogue to explain it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't. That know really
1: that. was one of the the key things that really didn't work for me.
0: All oh, right, no, I I always found that quite fun.
1: Did you?
2: Well, different strokes for different folks. But well, that's just that's just narrating. Yeah. that's yeah. No, that's not an issue. At least not not to me.
0: No. No? No, I the, the thing is, I, I and I, I guess this is why it kind of surprises me that, that you have trouble with that. Uh which is that it strikes me that it's one of these skills that you really learn as a GM. Uh, in, a G- in a in in a G- as a GM in a trad game, a lot of the times you are narrating the outcome of of dice rolls. you know in a call of Cthulhu game. You know, someone rolls some dice, something goes horribly wrong as a result, and you're narrating. You know, someone say is trying a sp- uh, spontaneous use of the Cthulhu mythos uh, skill. They push the rolls, and well, it
1: goes you wrong. you tell them an outcome, but but you, you narrate an outcome, but you don't you don't then. But but you you so you know, kind you of know role was... playing out a whole. End of a scene based on to, to to predetermined outcome.
0: Well, to some extent, you, you almost are. So you know, they, let, let's say we got that example there where you know you, you've you've pushed a role uh, for spontaneous use of the Cthulhu mythos skill. You failed on that. You know, we've agreed that something horrible is going to happen. You know, I start narrating that. You you know, describe your character's reaction to this horrible thing going on and so on. But you
1: as the player, you don't know what's coming. Uh,
0: but, again, you don't necessarily know that in um, uh, in prime time Adventures because it depends who's got the narration rights at that stage. OK. Yeah. I, I don't see it as any different.
2: Another thing I found, while admittedly it being a double-edged sword, as I've mentioned, that for trad players it presents elements that might be a little bit throwing you out at sea without any guidelines. On the other hand, it is quite a simple game to learn in terms of mechanics. This would make a good... All intents and purposes, a good gateway game um, to get you into the hobby.
1: Yeah, I think for people who have never played any games before, this would be one you could sit down with them and play.
0: And and I have twice ended up running Primetime Adventures for people who've never played any role playing game before. This is less a case now than it was when Primetime Adventures came out. You know, a lot of people have got certain expectations of how you play a game. Primetime Adventures goes against a lot of those. And so you know, it, it, certainly at the time it came out, there was a lot of reaction against it from people who thought that you know by playing it, you were somehow playing a role-playing game wrong. <laughs> it has occurred to me, though, that if any game... Would stand a good chance of revitalising, um, or at least expanding role playing into you know areas where it's it's not already. Primetime Adventures would be a great game for that. I I reckon that if if it were marketed in such a way uh, that it were getting out to non role players. It would be such a simple game for, for people to pick up as their first ever role-playing game for a number of reasons. One, it, you know, as you say, it's very simple and it's very well explained in the book. Secondly, all the conventions are of television. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, every, all those people buying box sets, you know, they have got the they know the background to this game.
0: And the third one is that you don't need anything special to play it. It uses an ordinary deck of cards, and if you've got some counters... No
1: you know, weird-shaped
0: dice. No. So, if you have got some poker chips uh, and a deck of cards, or you know, some glass beads from IKEA or something like that, you've got everything you need to play the game. Or even skittles, because once you've
2: eat, once you've used your fan mail, it's gone.
0: Uh, not necessarily. Hmm? No, it can go back into
2: budget. I'm not going to bring it back up. <laughs> you just, you just suck it for a while and then go back to spot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was red. It's now white. <laughs>
0: never, never take that line out of context. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And continuing our discussion of Primetime Adventures...
2: I know from previous experience, um, there is at least one other game that does strike me as being very much in the same vein. Um, maybe not necessarily a forward step on from PTA, but more or less like a parallel one that follows in a diff- uh, similar direction. That's Fiasco.
0: Yeah, I I can certainly see some shared DNA uh, between the two, but they're, they're, they're also very different games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there is the whole kind of shared setup, but that's much more randomised than Fiasco. But Fiasco, yeah, it t- it takes the kind of let's make shit up thing and then takes it to a new extreme. But as we've mentioned before as well, that Primetime Adventures came out on the back of the, the, the sort of forge indie game explosion of the early 2000s. And there are certainly any number of games that came out around the same time, which, while not identical in play style and so on, have got the, you know, the, the, the same kind of experimentation with uh, you know, what the structure of a role-playing game is, what the relationship between a GM and a player is, you know, how you construct story at the table. Yeah, you know, my life with Master, Dust Devils, and the Mountain Witch. Yeah, you know, I, th- I, th- I think all of these, while being you know very different games, I think they certainly share enough DNA that you know, if you like any one of those, then you, you you should definitely give Primetime Adventures a try.
1: The good friends of Jackson Elias now have a Patreon page. Think of it as an electronic donation box to help with the running costs of the show. The podcast will remain free, and donations are entirely voluntary follow the Patreon link on BlasphemousTomes.com. Thanks for listening. Well, that wraps up our discussion of Primetime Adventures. Um, Thanks very much, chaps. That's reminded me of how much I dislike the game, (laughs) if I haven't managed to make that clear in the discussion.
0: Well, as, as I may have implied at several stages during the discussion, you are categorically, objectively
2: and provably wrong.
1: Am I? Yes. Well, I guess it is two against one,
2: so uh, what can I say? <laughs> oh, half of the sum. I mean, some games I've liked of it, some games not. It really depends. It's oh, like I say, it's a, say, a it split lives, vote. It lives and dies by its group. It does one and the other.
0: So so if the problem is the players that are involved, uh, you know, can make it a good or a bad game, and Paul's never had a game that he
1: likes. <laughs> <laughs> you can see <laughs> where yeah, I'm you going. You've always with been this. in the game with me, Scott. <laughs> but yeah, I take your point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I just think it's a really yeah. well written game that I never want to play again. <laughs> For me, it just wore its nuts and bolts on its sleeve too much. <laughs> it has nuts that, and that, bolts.
0: That, that, that metaphor is just doing my fucking <laughs> head. <in>. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: just that it, it, it um, more than any other game, it sort of seemed to um, be kind of meta and discussing about what was happening in the fiction rather than just doing it. Well, yeah i think think... maybe that's a warning to take away to people that maybe that one i played we were doing we weren't doing it that well because i've been in other games i've been in games of in a wicked age as well which were totally ruined by people just sort of saying okay let's play the next scene okay what's this scene about and where's the conflict well that's not how you play in a wicked age at all and hopefully it's not how you play Primetime Adventures. Well, but it seems I, well to be.
0: I, I, I think the thing that we should take away from this is that you should actually try it again now because you've played a lot of other different games. My heart is
1: sinking, but yeah. okay.
0: <laughs> you've played a lot of other different games since then. You've seen, you know, numbers of different, you know, number of. Um, you've seen games which have taken elements of that and, and gone different directions. Uh, and also, you know, I've learned a lot about GMing it since then. Hmm. So, yeah, no, seriously, I think if you've tried it again, you'd find it a completely
2: different experience. It does not come across on the recording, dear listener, but Paul's face <laughs> is a picture right now. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell, shall we wrap up there?
0: I I think we should wrap up about two minutes ago.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good night from a disbeliever, Cheerio from a believer. And farewell from a person sat on the fence <laughs> Hello
0: Blasphemous Tomes dot Don't do that.